This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Double Tap Canada. Hello, 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 and welcome to Double Tap Canada. This is the technology show where we get into all things tech concerning the blind and visually impaired community, or, well, just anything we want to talk about, really. But this week, as you can hear, I am your host, Tim Schwartz. No Stephen Scott this week. We'll get to that in just a moment. But, uh, yeah, I know it's, it's, it's a conspiracy. It's, 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 uh, I, I don't know, but we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, but uh, this week, no musical intros, no clever analogies. Well, at least we'll try not to. Just two guys talking tech because that's what this show is all about. It's about technology, honestly. I am joined this week, as ever, by Sean Priest, who, for some reason, couldn't be bothered to join us last week, so we had to recruit Jay Taylor, a true Canadian. But this week, Sean's back. Sean, welcome to the show. Well, uh, hello, Tim, first off. Let me just say that. Beautiful intro, by the way. Thank you. But let's just make it clear that Jay just wasn't standing in because I wasn't here. He knows his stuff, and he was great, so hopefully we'll get him back. But yes, I am back. Yay, and we're happy to have you back. You are the pokey to my Gumby, Who? the Moby Dick to Stephen Zahab. Steady. You, you, are, <laughs> you are Sean Priest, and I'm happy to have you here with me, holding my hand through this whole process. Well, not, not too okay. close, Sean. Thank Just, you. Let's step, move on. Step back. <laughs> step back. Yes, yes, yes. So, anyway, welcome to the show. Now, now as I mentioned, Stephen Scott is not here. He has the man flu, as he says. So... Do we believe this? Is he truly sick? Is he at yet another buffet? Is he on, on location again? What, what's going on? No, no, to be fair, I have spoken to him today and he does sound terrible because, you know, usually he's got a golden syrupy voice, but no, he does sound ill. So I do believe him. And let's be honest, man flu. It's a serious, debilitating disease that we've all suffered from at some point. Ladies, you just don't understand. <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. Man flu is serious business. Take it seriously. So I've stepped in to take the helm and uh, hopefully we, we don't crash the ship. Anyway, this week, plenty of things to talk about. Later, we've got uh, some voice messages from the listeners. You find wonderful listeners out there. Speaking of which, you can get in contact with us, feedback at ami.ca or leave us a voicemail like many people did for this week, 1-866-509-4545. If you want to send well wishes to Steven, you can do that. Or if you don't, that's okay too. Yeah, um, don't bother. <laughs> so later in the episode, we'll be talking about some announcements from Samsung with their Active 2 smartwatch and their new Note phone, the Galaxy Note. Also some big news here in the States that I think really has an impact around the world uh, involving Domino's pizza and taking their case to the Supreme Court or trying to as it pertains to accessibility of their website. So that and so much more coming up later in the show. But first, Sean, we want to talk about the accessibility of the smart home. Yeah, well, not even just the accessibility. Of course, that's incredibly important to us. But we've been promised the smart home for decades. You know, we we just sit around and everything is done for us with robot butlers and everything. It's a promise that was made and hasn't been fulfilled. And I'm angry about <laughs> yes, it. Yes, I can feel the anger radiating off of you, Sean. I can, I can just hear you <laughs> seething over this whole thing. But you're absolutely right. It's been decades. We've been promised the home 
of the future. Hello and welcome to the future. Yes, here in the 21st century, we think nothing of our hover cars and rocket trousers. However, it's in the home where the true miracle of modern technology really shines. Ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not, this is your house of tomorrow. Modern in every respect. Just look around. Melamine surface and a telephone system which challenges the imagination. Push buttons instead of dials. The picture on the screen? Oh, that's of whoever is standing at your front door. You see him, but he doesn't see you. Yes, this kitchen almost gets dinner itself, but that wouldn't really be fun. The fun is making the most of the ultimate in kitchen convenience and efficiency. Imagine how wonderful it would be to live in a house like this. I'd be getting dinner in this kitchen. Yes, cooking and cleaning has never been easier for the little woman. Hurrah for the house of tomorrow! Now, thankfully, we've come such a long way since the 1950s, but still nowhere near that promise of the futuristic smart home where everything is done for us by machine. We don't have to lift a finger. But recently, over the last couple of years, we've started to take tiny steps into this house of tomorrow. We have smart speakers, smart lighting, smart heating, robot vacuums and video doorbells. And although calling these devices smart is probably a gross exaggeration, there's no denying they can be incredibly useful, especially if you're disabled. Now, I am a geek, so I love all this stuff, but I'm also incredibly cheap. But luckily enough, thanks to smart speakers, it doesn't have to cost a fortune to get your own house of tomorrow. The most basic way to get started after you buy a smart speaker, of course, is probably with a smart plug. Despite its name, a smart plug is actually pretty dumb. What it allows you to do is power on or off any appliance you plug into it. But what is cool about smart plugs is that you can do this using your voice via a smart speaker or just through an app on your smartphone. So, for example, you could say, whatever smart speaker, turn on the fan and it will turn on. Simple, but cool. Fan, cool, get it? I know, sorry. Anywho, smart plugs are pretty basic, but they can be really useful. A quick search online and you'll find lots and lots of smart plugs, but recently I've seen something new. Yes, the smart plug has evolved, and I'm not only interested because it's a new gadget, but more importantly, at least for me, is that it could mean you get more for your money. So let's take a look at a smart power strip. Okie dokie, let's get right down to the basics and forget about the smart side of it for now. What is a power strip? Well, I can guarantee you've probably got one in your house already, but you may call it by a different name. A mains extension, a power baton, something like that. But whatever you call it, you will have one. For example, in the corner of my living room, I've got a TV stand with my TV and Apple TV and DVD player and whatever else in it. But I've only got one power socket on the wall next to it. So, plugged into that single socket, I have a power strip, which gives me four extra power sockets that I can plug everything into. 
Yep, that's right, one of those. You know what I'm talking about now. So now, let's look at the word smart. What does that mean? Well, when we say a device is smart, what that basically means is that it can connect to a network and talk to and be controlled by another device, such as a smart speaker or an app on your phone. And yes, yes, I know this is all incredibly boring, but it's important that we know what we're talking about. And now that we do, let's take a closer look at one and see how it works and what you can do with it. So, a few weeks ago, I jumped on a popular online store and searched for Smart Power Strip. And honestly, I was quite amazed on <clears throat> how many there were. I mean, there's a lot of brands and different configurations. For example, how many power sockets does it actually come with? And does it come with USB ports? Does it have surge protection? Things like that. Of course, the only thing I was looking out for was the price. And I went for, let's say, a budget one. You know me. It's called the Koi? Koi? I don't know how you say it. K-O-I Smart Power Strip. I did also check out the online store in other countries, and I did find what I think is the same product, but under a different name. In the Canadian store, it was called Technic. T-E-C. N-I-K. Now, I'm not 100% sure it's the same, but going off the pictures and reading the reviews and the description, I'm pretty sure. Here in the UK, it was £22, but in the Canadian store, it was $37, which I don't think is too bad. It's about the same price that I pay for a standard power strip. Anyway, this one in front of me has a 5.5 foot cable that plugs into the wall, and the power strip itself is around 25.5 centimetres by 9 centimetres. And there's a line of four power sockets running along the bottom half of the power strip. And just above the first socket is a group of four USB ports. Just to the left of the USB ports in the top left corner is a power button. Now you can just plug this in and use it as a standard power strip if you want. But where's the fun in that? To access the smart functionality, you do need to download a companion app on your smartphone. And yes, you will be sick of the word smart by the end of this review. The companion app is called Smart Life, and it's available for Android and iOS. And to be honest, no matter what brand of power strip you buy, from what I can make out, a lot of them use this app. So jump onto whichever app store and search for Smart Life and download it. The first thing to do when you run the app is to set up an account. Just enter an email and a password. Then click on the plus or add a device button. And then you need to hold down the power button on the power strip itself for five seconds. Once you do, the app should pick it up and recognize it. Then it's a case of just entering your Wi-Fi password. Okay, okay, let's just hold on just one minute. So far, so simple, right? Well, kind of. Look, when it comes down to any of these smart devices, the key thing for us as visually impaired people is how accessible is the app. Because if it's inaccessible, then we really are going to struggle or at least lose some of the functionality of the device. In this case, the Smart Life app is... Drumroll, Stephen, please. Oh, you're so annoying. Yes, that's enough. Thank you. Well, it's technically accessible. 
Now, what I mean by that is, yes, you can use voiceover and talkback to navigate around, and the buttons are mostly labelled correctly, but it does all feel a little bit clunky and awkward. And there is a lot of trial and error in trying to figure out what this button that you can't quite figure out the name of actually does. But with that being said, I did manage to go through the entire setup process and name everything without any sighted assistance, though it did take longer than it should have done. I'll give it a C-. Must do better. On the main screen of the Smart Life app, you get a list of devices, and now that we've added our power strip to our Wi-Fi network, you'll see it listed there, so just double tap on it for some more options. Desk power. I've called my power strip desk power because, well, it's under my desk. I'm a simple man. Anyway, once you double tap on it, this next screen is a little bit of a pain to navigate. Swiping doesn't seem to work very well. It's easier just to drag your finger across the screen. But the thing to listen out for is this. Socket 1. Socket 1. This obviously refers to the first socket on the power strip. You can double tap on this text and rename it to whatever you want. Lamp, fan, heater, anything. To the left of this text is the actual power button for that socket. So if you swipe to the left, you hear nothing. That's right, it's an unlabeled button and it doesn't say a word. So frustrating and annoying and unnecessary, but hey, let's let it go for now. Now on the iOS version, when the switch is on, it will say this. Possibly add. Not ideal, but at least you know if it's on or off. So double tapping on this button will turn the power to that socket on or off. And underneath socket 1, obviously you have socket 2, socket 3 and socket 4, again, all with their own power buttons. And right at the bottom you also have USB. This is actually pretty cool because you can turn off the USB power. Now sadly you can't control individual USB ports. You either turn all four of them on or all four of them off. But I did find it really handy for things like USB fans and chargers. Okay, so I've gone through all of mine and I've renamed them to whatever's plugged into them. So let's have a quick scan through. Studio Radiator. I don't know why it says that in a strange way. That is Studio Radiator. Studio Mixer. Studio Display. Studio Lamp. Desk USB. So there we go. That's everything I've got plugged into the power strip. And I can turn any one of those on or off through this app. But let's be honest, it's a bit of a pain. With the unlabeled power buttons, you're not sure if something is on or off, which is fine if you're in the room, you know if something is turned on or off, but if you're doing it from another room or even outside the house, then how would you know? It's a pain. I'll definitely be leaving the developer some feedback on that. But anyway, that's the app. Let's get to the, well, for me at least, more interesting side of it, and let's set it up with the smart speaker. And don't worry, it's easy. This power strip supports both the Amazon Echo and the Google Home service. I'll be setting it up on my Amazon Echo, but either way, the process on the Google Home should be pretty much the same. All you need to do is search for the Smart Life skill. Once you find it, enable it and then link your account. This just means that the skill will ask you for your email and password that you use to create your Smart Life account when you first ran the app. It will then ask you if you want to give permission for the skill to control your smart device. Just agree and you're done. It's really simple, straightforward. It'll only take a couple of minutes. Just follow the instructions on the screen. 
Now, whenever I'm adding a new smart device to my network, I always ask my Amazon Echo to discover. When you say this, it will go off and check for any new devices. And in this case, it should find the four new sockets that I named previously in the app. Now we're all done, I can simply do this. Turn on Studio Display. OK. You can hear a little click there as the power turns on or off and my monitor switches on. Turn on Studio Radiator. OK. Turn on Desk USB. OK. And there you go, you should be able to hear my USB fan powering up. You can also turn off or on the entire power strip at once, just by saying turn off or on whatever you called the power strip. So in my case, turn on desk power. So there you go. Now look, before anyone starts criticising, this isn't just a case of technology for the sake of being cool or groovy or super lazy. Well, OK, maybe just a little bit of that. But as I said right at the start, this stuff can be really useful. For example, with the use of routines for the Amazon Echo, when I come into the studio to start recording, I can just say this. Get studio ready. OK, getting studio ready. Turning on display, mixer, lamp and USB hub. And when I'm finished, I can just say... Close down studio. Turning off studio lights, fans and heaters, and non-essential hardware. Now, come on, that is really useful. And, of course, you can be inventive. You could set it so that devices turn on or off when you push an Amazon button or someone walks up to your Ring video doorbell at your front door. So yes, okay, it is cool, it is a bit techy, it is kind of lazy, but at the same time it could be incredibly useful, as I said, especially if you've got a disability. Anyway, I've gone on far too long, so let's wrap this up. This power strip in particular that I've bought, I really do like. I've had absolutely no problems with it, it's never disconnected from the network and everything works as it should. The only thing I would say is that it does feel a little bit cheap. Yes, I know, I know, you get what you pay for, but even so, when you do plug things in, it does feel a little bit... squidgy is probably the best description. But, as I said, it does work really well, I'm happy with it and I'll be buying more. And let's quickly go back to the more for your money point. To do the same thing as this power strip does, I would need at least four smart plugs. Five if we include the USB hub. And yes, smart plugs are getting cheaper and cheaper, but still, I think a smart power strip does give you more value for money. And as you all know, that's something I'm always looking for. Even in the house of tomorrow. Electric dreams indeed, Sean, and it seems as though the future is now. That was really well done. Thank you for that, Sean. I'm I'm so excited about smart tech and smart homes. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of my own, Ugh. but it's such a, I don't know, it's just such a nice thing to know that it's finally seeming to be here. Yeah, that's right. And like I said in the piece, I think we are in the early stages. We're taking our first steps into that dream house of tomorrow that we have been promised for so long. 
But I think people still think of it as a slightly geeky or nerdy thing to do, you know? It's it's the, the realm of the nerd. And although smart speakers have gone a long way to change that, they have become a very mainstream, um, I don't think we're quite there where every new house that someone will buy will have all these smart devices built in, you know, as standard. But besides that, as I said, it is incredibly useful if you are disabled. I mean, you do hear people say, ah, it's just laziness. How hard is it to switch a light switch or, you know, turn off a, a power socket or whatever? But that's besides the point. Smart devices can make a real difference. I love this stuff. Well, that's really the point is, yes, a lot of people could say it's lazy. And as you found, it can be cheap, which I would have expected nothing less from you, Sean. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Uh, but yeah, there, there's some aspects of a smart home that could be lazy. But like you said, with this strip that you got, the uh, the power strip with the surge protection and the USB and all the different plugs, I love that kind of tech. I've actually been looking at one myself to purchase that has, in addition to everything that, that yours had, actually has a battery backup in it. So if my computer you know, were to be on when the power goes out, it's got like a 30 minute battery so I can get in there, save anything that I was working on, which as as you know, is, is, um, um, important, uh, especially for me because it has, <laughs> you ha- got to go one better, happened. haven't you? Huh? You got to go one better than me. You it, just can't let me well, win it, it, once. Can I, you? Tim? I will let you win every time, but you know, I had that one time where I couldn't get to the computer and the power went out and, oh yes. Yeah. So I, I've, I'm looking at that one, but either way though, these are, such great devices and again it it could come down to laziness but this is where i think accessibility comes in because whether you're blind or visually impaired whether you have a mobility issue and i know a lot of people with mobility issues that maybe have difficulty getting up to get over to the switch for the fan or for you know whatever other device in the room and it's so much easier, not lazy, just easier and, and maybe even more accessible for them just to say to their smart device of, of choice, you know, turn on the lights or turn on the fan or boot up the computer, whatever it might be. It, it, it sounds futuristic and it sounds lazy. It's all very Star Trek, but I love it. It's great. And, and I do think that especially for accessibility purposes, there is a real use case here. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, let's take the visually impaired aspect out of it. I, I'm a certain age, Tim, as you well know, being the elder yes. on Double Tap Canada. Yes, but you are. I, I do have arthritis and sometimes, you know, scrabbling around under a desk to turn something off. Uh, I just I just can't do that. So for that reason alone, this is great. And look, I mentioned money earlier and, um, you know, I think these are better value for money rather than buying four or five different smart plugs but also if you think of let's say your media center in your living room and you have everything there on standby constantly you know when you go to bed you just uh, leave it on standby Um, well with this you can turn everything off you can stop the power turn off the power to all of those media center devices your tv your smart box your cable box whatever it is and um Look, standby doesn't use a whole lot of electricity, but the fact that you're cutting down on all of those devices completely, yeah, it's it's a good thing. Of course, the smart plug itself or the smart power strip will draw uh, a certain amount of power itself to keep the connection alive. But when you consider one device versus, say, four or five in your uh, media center, then you know, you're going to save electricity there. And as you know, I'm all about saving the planet, Tim. 
or saving money on your electricity bill. Yes. Correct. <laughs> but no, that, that's a really good point. And, and as I listened to this piece, as you had been putting it together over the last several days, and I was listening to it you know, in its rawest form and uh, you know, get, getting all this information, I'm thinking – this would be fantastic, yes, in my office, in my studio, uh, for my computer and everything else I've got here. But as you just said, in the living room, to have it hooked up to my television, my Apple TV, my DVD player, and to be able to turn those on at will. Now, of course, there's still the, well, I've got to grab the remote and play, although there are some skills, some television, some things are able to be used with your smart you know, home device, your Echo or your Google Home or what have you. So you can get those additional skills to control your cable box or change the channel, things like that. But just to turn on and off those devices saying, you know, turn on the Apple TV or, or whatever – that can be very beneficial, a, a energy saver, as you said, which makes it a money saver. And yep. I, I really like that use case. I think it makes a lot of sense. And again, going back to someone with a mobility issue, somebody that you know maybe has bad knees or, or bad back, or they're in a wheelchair. Uh, you know, sometimes you know getting up to turn on a device. I know we have remotes now. This isn't the eighties. You know, we don't have the corded you know stuff. We don't have to get up and change the channel anymore. Darn lazy kids. But um, <laughs> uh, that's when you know you're old, when you remember the days of turning the knob on the TV that sat on the floor. Um, but, uh, but no, just, just the idea to be able to control all these things with your voice or with an app, I, I do really like this. And I think we are at the beginning, like you said. This is only the beginning of it. I think that we're going to get more and more of this with the ring doorbells and, and everything else. The technology is coming, if not already here. And our homes are just going to get smarter and smarter. Yeah, that's right. And that's the thing for me. Over the last few years, it does actually feel like we're finally going in the right direction. You know, every time you saw this sort of technology in the past, it was in a mansion owned by a celebrity or a millionaire, you know, a bespoke automation system. But now it's like it's in the reach of everything. It really has become mainstream. But let me just go back to a point you made one thing I should have said in the piece, actually, and that is to do with the limitations of things like smart plugs and smart power strips. It may sound obvious, but you do need to remember that they only turn the power on or off. That's it. Now, there's a lot of devices out there which require you to turn the power on and then press a button before they'll do something. Uh, the fans that I've got, for example, some of them have mechanical push buttons or mechanical dials which you set the power at and then as soon as you turn the power on, bang, they start. But I've also got some more modern fans where you need to turn the power on and then press one of the, let's say, digital buttons on the top before they start. And in that case, a smart plug will supply the power, but it won't actually turn the device on as such or get it to do whatever it's meant to do. So in that case, a smart plug really doesn't add much to it, I guess. It depends what you're using it for. But with that being said, there's so many different things you can do with it. You can, as I showed you, you can use it with your smart speaker. You can set up routines. You can use it with services such as if this, then that. You could set it so as soon as I leave my house, it will turn off all of my smart plugs. So there's, you know, there's so many different use cases for it that, yeah, it's still really interesting and just useful. Oh, and of course, it doesn't have to cost a fortune, which is important to me. <laughs> That's exactly right, Sean. You don't have to spend a lot of money. You can, but you don't have to. You can get these devices uh, cheaply, we'll say. Uh, the, where I will draw the line is the time when we have a smart toilet that notifies me on an app on my phone that 
it's probably time to return to said toilet. That's where I will draw the line when my toilet knows my, my body better than I do. Don't lower the tone, Tim, honestly. Come back, Stephen. All is forgiven. <laughs> Billy, you think it would have been better with Stephen? Uh, okay. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> let us know how you use smart home tech or do you use any kind of smart home technology. Feedback at ami.ca or call us. That number again is one 509 Four, five. Much more coming up after the break here on Double Tap Canada. Double Tap Canada. Double Tap Canada. Welcome back to Double Tap Canada. Now, Sean, during the break, it occurred to me that earlier I was making a joke, of course, but in a way, I didn't mean to, but in a way, I referred to you as a whale. And, and I do just want to take a moment to apologize for that, Sean. <laughs> well, quite honestly, Tim, I'm in the middle of filling out the complaint form right now. This is bullying at the workplace, but I am shocked and appalled. But you know what? I've been called worse. And actually, as I am incredibly fat, I can't really say much. <laughs> okay, well, then well then it's okay then. Then never mind. I, I don't apologize at all. So coming up later, we're going to be listening to some wonderful voice messages that came in from our listeners, Sean. But before we get to that, we've got some news to talk about and something that I think, really honestly, this is going to impact everybody, not just in the United States where it's happening, but really will have a far-reaching effect around the world. And that's Domino's Pizza and the accessibility or lack thereof of their website and their app. Now, as many people know, we've actually talked about this briefly several weeks ago. I, I, I think <laughs> if we didn't, we should have. Um, <laughs> that Domino's Pizza, their website and uh, app are not quite accessible. There's a gentleman who has taken them to court in the United States saying that he wasn't able to properly and accessibly order a pizza using their website or their app. Now, they've already gone through some of the lower courts in the United States, and Domino's Pizza has said, you know what? The Americans with Disability Act here in the United States doesn't specifically cover websites, doesn't specifically cover apps, because, well, it was – in 1992, and those things weren't really a thing yet. Uh, so they claim that they don't have to make that accessible. It's not a true extension of their store, their their actual brick and mortar storefront, their restaurant, and they don't have to be accessible. And so they're taking it to the highest court in the land, to the Supreme Court, which may or may not take the case. So that's still to be determined. But if they do, that could happen here in the next couple of months, Sean. And boy, this could have a really big effect on the accessibility of websites and apps. For companies going forward, because if the Supreme Court takes this on, they could say, you know what? Yeah, you have to make this accessible. This is an extension of your store. These are services that you provide online that a person could walk into your store or call your store and get. But this also has to be accessible, just like your storefront has to be accessible for people if they walk in having a braille menu or a ramp for somebody with a wheelchair. It's no different. But then again, they could come back and say, you know what? You're right. The law doesn't specify websites and apps. And no, they don't have to be accessible. Well, then every company out there is going to say, well, the court said it doesn't yeah. have to be. So we don't have to make it accessible. Now, yeah, exactly. This is such a, a dangerous move. And look. At first glance, this seems like a pretty silly story. You know, someone's taking someone to court because they can't order a pizza. But this does, as you said, have far-reaching implications. You know, it, it's... I don't care what Domino's is claiming. This website isn't an extension of our bricks-and-mortar stores or whatever. I don't care about that. To me, it just sounds like someone looking for a loophole to get around legislation. I don't care about that. What I do care about is that someone has brought it to their attention that their whatever website app is inaccessible. And basically, they've just come back and said, 
so what? We're not changing it. I mean, it blows my mind. Why are they taking that stance? Now, maybe there's some background、uh, reason for it that we're not privy to. But just going off the information that that is public, it's crazy from a PR point of view, from a marketing point of view alone. I mean, what are they hoping to achieve? It just makes them look so uncaring and and pig-headed. You think? Yeah. yeah. And and the thing is, as a community, <laughs> as the VI community, we are, I think, fairly reasonable and incredibly patient. How many times have we brought it to a company's attention that hey, your website isn't accessible, or your app isn't accessible, your whatever isn't accessible? And most of the time, the company will come back and say, ah. We had no idea. Thanks for that. We'll work on it. Or yeah, we are aware of that, and we are working on it. So、uh, most of the time, we're happy with that. We're patient. We we understand that it's not something that most companies can do overnight. But in this case, for the company to basically come back and say, "Well, we're not changing it," and whether it is just a lack of understanding of how accessibility works, or、uh, not wanting to spend or invest the money and time it would take. I just can't think of any excuse. It's pig-headed and, quite frankly, disgusting. And apart from that, you've got the danger of a court case setting a standard that wouldn't just affect this company in this case, but could have far-reaching implications that can be really,、um, well, could be really scary. Yeah, that's really dangerous, and that's my fear here. And I'm hopeful that it's not going to come to that. But you know, something I saw in an article about this the other day that I was reading said. They may end up spending more money pushing this through the courts than they would have spent just having one of their IT guys fix the website and fix the app. Yes, yes. I mean, the money that they're going to invest in this is going to be so much more than, than what it would take just to fix it. It just it drives me crazy. It, it's not, and I say this to somebody who's not a developer. I'm not a coder, but I've talked to many of them, and my understanding is it's not that difficult to label. Unlabeled buttons. I know from just some general website knowledge and HTML coding and all that knowledge that I have, it's not that hard to label links. It's very easy to label links and make those things accessible. So to to say, you know what, this is not a part of our storefront. This is not an extension of our brick and mortar locations, and we don't have to make it accessible. I, I, I'm not. I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, I, it's down to is this just a lack of understanding of what accessibility is, but. I think we have got to be careful of, of saying, "Well, accessibility is easy. Why don't you just fix it?" Because, you know, it does depend on how they're set up, their infrastructure, and what they're using for their online services.、Um, sometimes it isn't just a case of adding ARIA attributes to HTML5 or tinkering with some CSS. You know, it may be more involved than that,、right. and it may even require a total rewrite. But that's not the point for a company of this size. To be in this situation, then they mustn't have thought about accessibility at all from the onset of setting up their online services. And if that is the case, then I'm sorry, but that's their problem. They made a mistake, <laughs> and now they need to fix it. Well, that's exactly right. If if they were coming out saying, you know what, it's going to take some time and of course some money, we will get to it. We we promise. We understand how important this is, and we're going to make it our mission to work on this. Just please give us time. Please be patient. 
That's one thing. And I've heard companies say that, and that's not a problem. And as you said earlier, we would be patient with that. We, we've been, we're used to being patient with that, that statement, yep. but they haven't said that. If they were saying even, you know what, we're purposely going to take this on to take it to the Supreme Court because we are serious about accessibility and we want the court to rule on this because if they say it all has to be accessible, that forces all companies to do it and that's a good thing. Or if they say it's it doesn't have to be accessible, that forces the United States Congress to pass a specific addendum to the law, which makes it great for people. If they were saying, you know what, we're doing this for the right reason as a cause, because we want the law to be more clear and we're championing, we want to be the champions of that. Well, that would be another thing. And I would stand up and applaud them for that. Absolutely. That doesn't seem to be the case here. So, you know, time will tell. It's going to be another probably couple months. So we'll we'll keep an eye on the story as it continues to unfold. Because like I said, it'll be a a couple months before it may go in front of the Supreme Court. And we will keep everybody updated. But this is something that if you're in the United States, of course, you know, uh, this this is very troubling. But I, I really feel... Depending on how this goes, of course, this will have a trickle effect because Domino's is in Canada, it's in the UK, it's all over, and so are many other companies that have websites and apps. And if we can't fully use them and and this case goes, well, against us, that, that could have drastic ramifications. So moving right along then, Sean, this week, Samsung is holding their annual Unpacked event. We did talk about this quite a bit last year when they had it, and they had some great announcements. This year, because it's literally right in the middle of the event as we speak, we're going to try to keep an eye on this and hopefully have a better, bigger discussion about it next week on on the show when Steven's back. But we do know at the moment they have announced the new Samsung Galaxy Active 2 smartwatch. And I have looked online and it does have a screen reader as well as zoom built in. So it does talk like an Apple watch and you can zoom in and, and they have added a whole bunch of features that make it very comparable to an Apple watch with its whoa, fitness. Whoa, whoa, hang up. Whoa. Let me stop you there, Tim. Then you're saying it has a screen reader and we'll talk to you like an Apple watch. I mean, you know, that's a bold claim, my friend. <laughs> okay, the, let me... the Apple Watch is very, very accessible. It is very accessible. And I will retract that then because I haven't physically gotten my hands on it. I've read their website <laughs> and what they say about it. So I will say they, they, they claim that it speaks and speaks well and it sounds as though it uh, will speak similar to an Apple Watch. Is that better, Sean? Well, not really. Um, they are saying that it has accessibility features in it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm being slightly uh, facetious. But, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's cool that they actually mention the accessibility features. For a long time, you know, the, the Apple Watch was really the only smartwatch with accessibility features. But with Tizen, if it does run Tizen, that, that does have accessibility features built in. And uh, from what you've read on the website about the Active 2, then, uh, yeah, it is looking promising. I've got to say, I'm interested interested in this one. Absolutely. So we're going to be looking more into that because it is promising to have possibly a an alternative to the Apple Watch. I don't want to say that yet because I love the Apple Watch, uh, but time will tell, but but it sounds promising. They also have released the new Samsung Galaxy Note uh, and so many other things that they're doing at their Unpacked event. So again, we're going to be looking at that more uh, as the week has continued and we will hopefully be able to discuss that more on next week's episode of Double Tap. So definitely stay tuned for that. Now, Sean, several people have gotten in touch with us this week by calling, again, that number, one 509 4545 
So All right, please don't push it, in, honestly. <laughs> oh, every two minutes. I want to make sure people know the number and you know, give us a call, send us a message, let us know what they're thinking, ask their questions. And uh, a couple of people have actually gotten in touch relating to messages we've received in recent weeks about a lanyard or some other sort of device or way to hold your smartphone. Hey, Double Tap guys, this is Siobhan. And you had a gentleman call about having his hands free and not having to carry his phone. And he wanted some kind of uh, something to put the phone in so that he could walk around with his phone available to him, but he didn't want to have to carry it. I recommend a lanyard. And I have used this with Ira, and it is absolutely amazing. So Amazon has quite a few different types of lanyards. And what they look like is they're like a rubbery frame that and very stretchy. And you stretch it around your phone so it holds your phone in place. Some of them have a little pocket at the back or the front, depending on which way you're wearing the, the lanyard, um, that you could put, you know, a, a subway card or something in if you wanted. Some of them don't. They're adjustable, so you can make them as high on your chest or as low on your body as you need to. And your camera is visible. So if you have to use Be My Eyes or Ira, the camera is available there, easily seen by the people who are helping you. It is amazing. Your hands are free, your phone is safe, and you don't have to um, worry about dropping it. And you can just go about your business, and if you need help, and you need that camera available to you, there it is. So if you go on Amazon, there's quite a few different kinds. Just make sure you get the right size for your phone. And there you have it. Thanks a lot, guys. Well, and thank you, Siobhan, friend of the show and, well, friend of the network as well. Siobhan can be heard on Kelly and Company every other week with her wonderful fitness tips. But that's a really good recommendation, Sean, as far as something to hold your phone when you're wanting to speak with Ira or use Be My Eyes and be hands-free. Now, I was shouting at all of you last week because Stephen said, yep, $13 on, uh, on a certain online store, and I've looked into <laughs> it. But no one said what it was actually called. It's a lanyard. Um, the only thing I think about these is that I've heard that some people want one that actually um, rather than just hang around your neck. Uh, some people want one that will sort of strap around your back as well, so it, it doesn't move around at all. Now, I haven't seen many of them, um, so I can't really give any advice to or recommendations for them. But yes, I've heard a lot of people talking about lanyards. I've heard no real recommendations for a specific brand. But um, yeah, it, it, it makes total sense and they are out there. So that's what you want to search for, a smartphone lanyard. Yeah, and I think not to, uh, well, throw Stephen under the bus, but I'm going to throw him under the bus because he's got it to be plenty, plenty of time. Man, he's not here anyway. He won't hear this or, or maybe. Um, <laughs> but when he said that, I believe he did say, you know, you can just search for it. You'll find it. There's plenty of them out there. Go, go look online. In other words, I couldn't be bothered to look it up anymore or get you the information. I looked it up. I saw they're there. Go find it yourself. Um, but no, in all seriousness, no, Siobhan is right. You are right. Oh, boy, that felt dirty to say that. Um, boy. But um, yeah, the lanyards are really, really great and, and very useful. And I do believe that uh, the original question, he had also asked about not just maybe a lanyard, but something to maybe hook to your belt, like a holster. And we actually have another audio message that came in to us from a listener who has a recommendation for that as well. 
Hi, Kim, Sean, and Stephen. This is a message for Double Tap Canada. Um, on last week's show, someone made a comment of looking for a way to host their phone around their neck, I believe, for GPS. And I have a way of doing this that I would like to share. Um, what I do is some of your other box cases will come with a poster that the phone clips into. It's secure, it's dirty, and um, that's what I use when I'm using GPS on my phone to go hands-free. And it works for me, so I thought it could work for somebody else. Thank you very much to that anonymous caller that we had uh, with that great recommendation <laughs> about an OtterBox case, Sean, that actually will have a little holster or something that can attach to maybe to your pocket or to your belt. And that's another great way to go hands-free. Yeah, thanks a lot. Sadly, the audio quality wasn't great on that recording, so I'm not entirely sure if it is just something you can clip onto your belt or wear around your neck like a lanyard as well but either way it's it's great to get a recommendation of an actual brand name and i have used otterbox before and they are great cases so thanks yeah so bye yep really nice to be able to know specifically what we are looking for so well done there now if anybody else has any recommendations or suggestions about a lanyard or, or holster or buckle or anything else that can help you go hands-free with your smartphone please get in contact with us once again, just so I can annoy Sean a little bit more, email us at feedback at ami.ca or call us 1-866-509-4545. Now, Sean, we do have one more voicemail that actually covers a wide variety of topics from Michael. Hey, Tim and Scott and Jay. Just got done listening. I think it was Jay. I don't know. Sometimes when you have it at 2x speed, you can't really understand things, but you understand what you need to understand. <laughs> As I told Kelly and Cohen, when I was on their show, uh, Kelly and Romeo last Monday, uh, it's, it's, it's a different experience listening to people at the regular speed versus 2x speed, which is what I typically listen to people. Uh, anyways, enough with that. Wanted to ask, well, wanted to, number one, complain to Scott. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very disappointed in you. You're good, Stephen. Not mad, not upset. I'm disappointed in the fact that I didn't get to hear that head-to-head screen reader image uh, demo. So hopefully we'll get to hear it next week. But um, I also understand how real life happens. <laughs> Apparently you were on TV. That's that's amazing and a different experience. Uh, kind of curious, you, if I understand correctly, work for RNIB or work with RNIB or something, Connect Radio. Uh, not familiar with it, but I, I'm wondering what automation tools you guys use. I'm a production assistant for a company that owns eight different radio stations, and we're using a suite of uh, software suite that is <laughs> – Definitely not the most accessible, uh, but I'm just kind of curious what other companies are using, especially with those who are employing blind individuals who are leveraging assistive technology. Uh, Jay, for you and or Scott, I'm, I'm second-guessing myself. Yeah, your name's Scott. Your name's Scott. I'm not talking to you, Tim, right now because you're not in my camp. I'm a little disappointed. Boo. Okay, I'm done with the disappointment, but... You're not an Android fan, and it sounds like Scott and Jay are at least at least Jay's really enjoying it, and Scott's trying it out. Uh, the differences in the S10 and the Pixel, uh, most especially with the screen reader, because I believe uh, the S10 has its own unique screen reader, or does that have TalkBack? I, I'm guessing it has TalkBack on it, but if I remember right, Samsung has their own voice view, or am I mixing that up with the technology they have on their TVs? Uh, what, do, what do you find your experiences to be with the Samsung phone versus the Pixel phone? I would be interested, maybe not in the head-to-head, but just some, some comments on that 
And then one last thing to drop uh, on you guys is under, at least on Pixel XL3, running QBeta 5, and I presume it's in the same place with P, if you go to settings, you go down to accessibility, which is above about, you go down to talkback, you open that, then you go to settings, so you're inside the talkback settings. Uh, the third, fourth to last option, I think it is, so you have to scroll your screen, is a tutorial that, if I remember right, when you set up your phone, is available for TalkBack users uh, to get familiar with most of the basic gestures. And I want to say iOS offers that voiceover, too, but I could be wrong because, yeah, yeah, I'm off to wrong. Anyways, I <laughs> just wanted to leave you guys a quick voicemail. Totally appreciate it. Uh, and the weather is beautiful here in Oregon. Ah, oh, thank you, Michael. Don't get me talking about the weather. I'm British, you know, I'll be here all day. But <laughs> thanks for the message. Uh, there's quite a lot there to unpack, and I think a lot of the questions there are probably for Stephen and, or Scott, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get him to answer those next week. But let me quickly touch on the Pixel versus Samsung question. Now, yes, Samsung do have... TalkBack on their devices, but they also have their own version of TalkBack. They've took TalkBack and made some changes with it, and you can choose which one you use. I can't actually remember what they call it, but I think it might just be called Voice Assistant. But either way, you can choose to either use the TalkBack, Android TalkBack, or you can use Samsung's tinkered with version of TalkBack called, I think, Voice Assistant. Now, I don't think there's a huge amount of differences between the Samsung TalkBack and Google TalkBack, except that I know they have added a lot of iOS-like voiceover gestures to the Samsung version. Things like the magic tap for hang up or play pause. So if you are coming from an iOS device, then maybe you will prefer that over TalkBack. But either way, it's just a, a matter of preference. So having said that, I think the more important thing is to know what the difference is between a Google-branded Android phone and a third-party phone like Samsung. Now, I won't go on too long about it because we have talked about it before, but, you know, if you buy a phone made by Google, then you're always going to be running the latest version of Android and therefore the latest version of TalkBack. Whereas if you get a phone, an Android phone, by another manufacturer, such as Samsung, um, they take Android and they make changes to it. You know, they add their own branding. They maybe put a different keyboard or app launcher on. They want to make it their own. And because of that, that takes time. So some phones, third-party manufacturer phones, won't be running the latest version of Android. Now, that's not necessarily a massive problem, but it does mean that you might not be running the latest version of TalkBack either. Again, not necessarily a massive issue. How often does it change? But it is something just to be aware of. So there you go. But we will ask Stephen next week because he does have the Pixel 3a and the Samsung S10. Yes, of course he does. He has everything. <laughs> so we'll see what he has to say about it. But also, let me just say... Voice View, that's the Amazon screen reader, which is, again, another version, tinkered version of TalkBack. Generally, like you said, the Samsung phones work really nicely and the, you know, the TalkBack feature, their version of it, you know, works nicely. And you can customize those gestures as we've talked about, and that'll be available in iOS coming soon as well to be able to customize things the way you want them to. And I think that really helps. You can make the experience be what you want it to be. And to the point that Michael made about the tutorial, uh, I don't know if there is one in Android. You would know that better than I, Sean. I know that with iOS, when you go into the accessibility settings, and going the voiceover, there is kind of a quick 
you know, swipe for this, double tap for that. It, it yep. gives you some general information. And as we mentioned before, you can do a four finger triple tap on your iPhone and then just try things. So swipe or tap using multiple fingers or different swipes, different taps, and it will tell you what it is or what it does. So that's a way to do it. But I still feel there could be a more proper tutorial for each where it really walks you through. There used to be a really great app on the iPhone called VO Tutorial that actually had games that you would play. You'd have to walk through this you know, castle and, and open doors and unlock doors and crack open a safe by turning the, the numbers. And that taught you how to use the rotor. And there's so many really great examples in there. It's still out there, I think, but it's a little outdated because the, the way they teach you how to use the phone is a little bit different now. I've looked at it recently and it is a little different but something like that is fantastic and i really wish that both iphone and android had something much more uh involved and, and fun i know there's one out there for kids for ios i've played with a little bit i don't remember exactly what that one's called i think it's vo lab maybe uh that, that is for kids to learn how to use gestures so they're out there but they're third-party apps that you have to download and so i just wish there was something integrated in there for a tutorial well let me stop you there, Tim, because Android does indeed, as Michael said, it does, as soon as you turn TalkBack on when you get the device, it will go through a tutorial, a step-by-step -step tutorial going through most of the gestures. There are still a few uh, that are missing, uh, some of the more advanced gestures, if you like. And I think well, Stephen was talking about this last week, that he wishes there was a slightly more involved tutorial. But yeah, I, I think that is something that iOS is missing. Yes, you have the practice area, um, but you need to know the gestures in the first place or, you know, it, it's not quite as easy as it should be. I do want to mention real fast, because we are running out of time, Sean, that both of the last two messages had the order absolutely right. First me, then you, then Stephen or Jay or Scott, as Michael called him. Scott. Scott. <laughs> Mr. Scott. I need more power. Um, anyway, I would do that better, but it would just sound really angry. Anyway. Just like Stephen. Um, but uh, yeah, so thank you for that. And to his final points, Sean, uh, that Michael made there about uh, being on television. Yes, Double Tap is now a television show every Wednesday evening, 8.30 Eastern time on AMI-tv. So definitely check us out there. You had a piece that you put on the first episode. I did, all about Android. Hurrah! Uh, yes, be <laughs> checking that out. As far as automated services or automated... Uh, programs for radio and production and things like that. We'll have to get with Steven when he's feeling a little bit better and have him talk through that. And hopefully when he's feeling better, he can also dive into that comparison that he was going to do for screen readers and how they scan images and provide you information about those images. So we'll get with Steven when he's feeling better and hold him to the promise of offering that presentation as well as talking about that automation for the radio. And on that note, that is it for us this week on Double Tap Canada. I want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to us. And of course, as always, I want to thank Sean Priest for joining me this week and uh, yeah, having a wonderful show. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Tim. And let me just say, it's always great to hear from our listeners. So if you do want to get in touch, that's feedback at ami.ca or you can call this number 1-866-509-4545. Ha! I did it. <laughs> How dare you, sir? All right. Well, thank you all again so much. Catch us on the podcast wherever you get your podcasts or visit ami.ca or doubletap.online. Have a good week. Take care, everybody. Get well soon, Stephen. Bye.
This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.